Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. This month for us is a month where we're focusing on vision and culture. What makes MCC what it is? It's the way that we roll around here. And so for the next four Sundays, we're going to look at this and then highlight key areas that are happening in the life of MCC and, uh, and how that fits into our own life as well. And so we're beginning this morning at the very, very outset of this. We're looking at vision and culture. Do you know every country has a culture? Do you remember the first time you ever went on an overseas holiday to a foreign place? Remember that thing we used to do, that, that international travel thing, you know, before COVID, that thing we used to do? Do you remember the first time you ever got on a plane and went to another place and the, the sights and the smells and the sounds and the food and, and everything was different about that other place? Because every country has a, a culture. That, that's true of countries. It's, it's also true of families. Every family has a culture. That, that in some ways, pre-marriage counseling could be re-termed the clash of civilizations, Right? Because whether you realize it or not, there is an internal code about the way that things ought to be done. And when you marry another person, you realize that there are other people that violate your internal cultural code. You're looking at me like you're not quite sure that I'm telling the truth. Come on, you know this is true. Do you know in that first year of marriage, that if you survive that first year, you are actually supposed to be married, right? Because you're working out things like, why do you use every single utensil in the kitchen to cook? Just use one, wash up as you go, then there's less to do at the end. That makes a lot of sense. That'd be a good way to do it, but that, not everyone does it that way. Not everyone does it that way, right? Do you know, if you say you're going to be there at a certain time, just be there at a certain time because that's a really convenient and conventional way to make sure that you're there at the same time. That's just, but that's not everybody's culture, right? You could turn pre-marriage counseling the clash of civilizations because every country has a culture. The truth is every family has a culture, don't they, Right? But but every person has a culture as well, because culture simply is the way things happen around here. And so we're taking this month to look at vision and culture for MCC, the way that things happen around here. And for us, that cultural statement comes from actually something that Jesus says. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus reveals his purpose. Right in the middle of teaching about the good shepherd, Jesus makes this statement. I know I'm standing right in the middle of the screen, right? Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But listen to this. Jesus is revealing his purpose. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That in that one phrase from Jesus that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, Jesus encapsulates the four values that make MCC what it is. That if you take it a step deeper, you can also see the path of Jesus in those four values. Firstly, Jesus says, I have come. In other words, that we would be a proactive group of people. How many people are grateful that Jesus wasn't waiting for us to make our way to him? Because if Jesus was waiting for us to make our way to him, he would still be waiting. And so God took the initiative, right? God made his way to us by sending his son. Isn't that what the scripture says? That we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. In fact, he demonstrated it to us when he sent Jesus to die in our place, even while we were still far from him. And so Jesus said, I have come. In other words, that we would be proactive. 
But we see that in the path of Jesus. The incarnation is God taking the initiative and being proactive by sending His Son. Jesus said, I have come that you might have. That we would be proactive, yes, but also that we would be an others-focused group of people. That that actually everything we do is for other people. That, That this should stand in stark contrast to a culture around about us that is pretty self-absorbed. That that we live in a generation of the selfie, right? Where, Where everything is being documented through the eyes of self. And yet in the middle of that, God says, actually, if you want to If you want to um, hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you want to give it away, that's how you'll gain it. That that actually it's in serving other people that you and I actually demonstrate the love and kindness of God. But it's also how you and I live our best life. And so we see that in Jesus, that Jesus didn't hold on so tightly that he wasn't willing to actually go to the cross for us. And so we'd be proactive, I've come that we would be others-focused. We see that in the path of Jesus because Jesus went to the cross, the crucifixion. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, that we would be a life-giving group of people because we've received life from God. We ought to be able to, we should be able to um, reflect that in the lives and relationships around about us, that we should be fun, that we should be slightly cheeky, that there should be something slightly naughty, not bad, but just slightly naughty about people from MCC. Some of us have been a little too far there already. We've got to come back a little bit past that line, but, but there should be something slightly cheeky about us, right? I think sometimes people think of Jesus sort of just all meek and mild and just, you know, I think Jesus surrounded himself with teenagers, Jesus would have been a lot of fun to hang out with, right? I mean, when Jesus comes walking on the water to the disciples, who do they think it is? They think it's a ghost. Why? Because Jesus is walking on the water like, that there should be something life-giving about the way that we live our lives. There are some people, and you know, don't look sideways, certainly don't point at them, but there are some people, right? You spend five minutes with them and you feel absolutely exhausted, they have an ability to drain the life out of you. Then there's other people, you spend a few minutes with them and you leave encouraged and full of life and like you could take on the world. What is that? That's living a life that reflects the kindness of God. To to be proactive, to be others focused, to be life giving. We see that in the path of Jesus. Proactive, the incarnation. Others focused, the crucifixion but then life-giving, the resurrection. That we ought to live like that kind of people, right? So Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And I love this about God, not just life, but life in all of its fullness. If God was sending you on an excursion that cost $25, he'd give you 50. So that you had money for a pie and a Coke on the way and you could shout a friend and you could pay for the excursion as well. That God doesn't just give you enough, does he? He gives you more than enough. His grace isn't sufficient, it's more than sufficient. God didn't just come to give us life, he came to give us life in all of its fullness, in every facet, that we would be proactive, that we would be others focused, that we would be life-giving and that we would be generous. That, that the community around about us, who maybe have never even come to a Sunday service yet, they haven't come yet, 
would say, thank God for that group of people. Thank God for that center being built. Thank God for that church in this place because it's doing something that's bringing life to this whole postcode, to this whole region, that we would be that kind of church. And we see that in Jesus's path as well at the ascension. So proactive, others-focused, life-giving and generous, those four values make us who we are as people who are part of this church. And so this morning, I want to take this morning's service to look at the first of those, to be proactive, to be proactive. What does it mean to be a proactive church, an initiative-taking, can-do group of people? In 1886, a guy called Albert Butts patented the thermoelectric damper regulator and alarm. For short, they called it the damper flapper. What Albert Butts has actually designed and had patented in 1886 was actually the very first ever thermostat. Later, that company that he founds ends up becoming Honeywell, which did a lot of different control devices and is still around to this day, but it actually started with Albert Butts in 1886. Up until Albert's invention, there was thermometers which could tell the temperature, but there was no way to be able to automatically control temperature. What Albert had designed was a thermostat that wasn't just able to read the temperature, but using a dial inside the house, which is the little brass object, you could actually turn the dial to the desired temperature in the house, and it would operate near the furnace flaps that would open and close to be able to get that air throughout the rest of the house. It wasn't just a thermometer telling you the temperature. This was now a thermostat that allowed you to be able to control it. And some people live their lives like their thermometers. They can tell you the temperature of what's going on, but, but they've got no inclination towards adjusting it to any desired result. They can tell you when things are hot, and they can tell you when things are cold, and they can tell you when things are good, and they can tell you when things are not, but, but there's no initiative, there's no preactivity, there's no desire to be able to adjust it, whereas other people live their life, not simply reading the temperature around them, but, but actually having an effect on it. I'm looking at Vince, who's the principal of Calandra Christian College, and the very first time I ever met Vince on his wall was a thermostat, a reminder to him that as the principal of his school, that he is the one who is adjusting the temperature, the climate, the culture, the vision for that organization. And some people live like that, that they live like not a thermometer simply reading the temperature, but a thermostat adjusting it to a desired result. Proactive people live like their thermostats. And so they calibrate the areas of their life towards four things, towards faith, towards leadership, towards creativity, and towards action. Here's the first one. Proactive people are faith calibrated. That if you and I are going to be proactive people, if you and I, again, demonstrate the culture of what makes MCC what it is, that then we have got to be people who have calibrated our life towards faith. That Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, as it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. That people of faith are proactive people because they're acting as if something has come to pass, which as yet still seems like it's impossible. Because faith will cause you to act like something has come to pass because it's the, it's the um, substance of things hoped for, 
But, but even though at this moment in time, it seems like it's impossible because it's the evidence of things not yet seen. And so faith will cause you, right, to be able to price up a warehouse even though you haven't started the business yet, right? Faith will cause you to, to start to look for ABN names or ABN numbers because you're, you're going to start something. It hasn't started yet, but, but faith causes you to begin to do that. Faith will cause you to begin to buy some outfits ready for the interview you haven't been called back for yet, right? Because faith will cause you to act as if something that's come to pass, which as yet still seems like it's impossible. Some of you know this story for us, that we've got a son, Jonathan, who this year will turn nine, and a daughter, Sophie, who's turning four. And between those two children, there are five miscarriages, which for us was a painful thing to walk through, especially because we felt like God had given us a promise after our second miscarriage, for a little girl called Sophie. In, in fact, we actually had a friend in South Africa who had contacted us and said, God has shown us a vision of your family, not knowing at all, no one knew what was going on, but saying, God's shown us a vision of your family with a little girl. And so um, her name means wisdom. We contacted them because of the time difference and said, did God tell you that her name means wisdom or did God actually give you her name? They said, well, actually, God gave us her name, but we were too nervous to say anything in case we were wrong. And so we said to them, was her name Sophie? Is that what God told you? Because we had already put on a wall a photo of an ultrasound with a promise in Psalm 139 because we had this sense that God had promised us this little girl. We, we bought a bedroom sign because we wanted to act in faith. And every time we'd have a miscarriage, we'd take out the sign and we'd pray and say, God, you promised we had people that we trusted and leaders and pastors that, that we really admired who said to us, maybe you guys should just be happy with the son that God's given you or, or perhaps you should, you should look at adoption. And for all of them, we said the same thing. We said we would do exactly what you're saying, except we cannot shake this sense that God has promised us this little girl. And so faith will cause you to buy a bedroom sign even though you haven't conceived the child yet, right? Faith always causes you to act in some way that seems like it's an impossibility at the time, but in the fullness of time seems like wisdom. It just doesn't seem like that at the time because it's the substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things not yet seen. And so proactive people are people who, who are faith calibrated because when faith ignites in a person's heart, it begins to calibrate their heart towards what is possible. So when you get around faith-filled people, you notice that there's something in common for people who exercise faith. It's not that they're superhuman. And it's not that they don't face the same struggles that you and I do. But what you do notice is this, is that there is a sense of can-do attitude that comes with the territory of being a faith-calibrated person. Because faith calibrates your heart towards what's possible. And so for you and I, that, that we would be proactive people, that we would be can-do, initiative-taking kind of people, that we would be people whose faith or whose heart is calibrated towards faith. That we'd have a can-do attitude. You know, some people live their life seeing the glass always as half empty. Right? That, that's called pessimism. And then there are others who live their life seeing the glass as half full, and that, that's optimism. But faith is neither of those things. David in Psalm 23 verse 5 says, My cup runneth over. That's the attitude of a person of faith. There was a dad who had two twin boys. And uh, one of them was incredibly pessimistic. But whenever something would happen, he would always see the worst in it 
of people, of situations. He, he always kind of had a negative bent towards everything that he did in his life. The other son was like the exact opposite. He was always positive, always so optimistic, always looking for the best in everything. And so the father, having these two twins and trying to work out why this was the case, went to a psychologist and said, I need you to help me. I need to be able to even these two boys out. Like one's incredibly negative all the time. The other one's always positive all the time. So the psychologist said to him, what you need to do is you need to buy them presents. And on the way home from school, explain to them that you've bought them each presents in order to be able to help them just adjust in their own life. And so for the, the negative son, he filled the room with presents, just as far as you could see, right to the ceiling, just presents everywhere, all wrapped. In the other boy's room, the, the positive boy's room, the optimistic son's room, he filled the room with manure. One to kind of like build one son up and just bring the other son down a few notches. Well, when they get home from school, the two boys go to their rooms, having been told that there's presents in both. They kind of reflect their sort of next step in their journey. And so the one son walks to his room and he sees all the presents and, and he's a bit bewildered by the fact that there's these presents in the room and, and he's trying to overcome the negative feelings that he has. Like there's presents, but I bet you they don't have batteries in them. And they're probably presents, but they're probably not presents I'd like. And, and they're presents, but they're probably presents that I would have liked, you know, like a long time ago. And, and if I've got these presents, I wonder what presents my brother's got. He's probably got two bedrooms full of presents and he's trying to overcome those negative emotions. He's trying to adjust. But while he's trying to process all of this, the other brother is screaming and yahooing in the other room. And the dad can't quite work out why his son is so excited about a room full of manure. So he goes to the other room and he says, what are you doing? And he finds his son flinging manure around the room, throwing it in the air and yelling and screaming and yahooing. And he says to his dad, with this much manure in this room, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. that you and I would be people whose, whose heart is calibrated towards faith. That there would be a can-do attitude about the way that we live our life. Not pessimistic or optimistic, no, faith-filled. Which is why every single week we'll preach the Bible. That's why every single week we'll focus our time and our hearts on God. Why? Because it's impossible to be optimistic while you still have missed the optics. That's why the scripture says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because if we're going to live faith-filled lives, that is actually not by focusing on ourselves or even on circumstances. It's about lifting our eyes and beholding the goodness of God. And it's amazing how faith begins to rise in your heart when you begin to do that very thing. Here's the second thing it means to be a proactive person. It means to be leadership calibrated. There are some people that even as I say that, you're like, well, this point doesn't apply to me because I'm not a leader. Do you know, every single person in this room has leadership potential. Every single person. And if you stick around here long enough, I'm going to try and push your buttons to develop that. So if you're looking to be really comfortable, you'll be allowed to for a little while. But, but that we would be leadership calibrated people because the truth is every single one of us has leadership potential when you think of leadership being influenced the truth is if you're a parent you're exercising leadership if you're employed in a job you, you have the potential to exercise leadership if you're a, a high school student then then the students who are in the grades below you, you you have influence with those grades below you in the same way that you once looked up to some of the other people in high school in the same way 
that there right now we've got for our um, grade sixes and grade sevens a junior leadership program. Why? Because we want to begin to develop the leadership and potential that, that is amongst the people of our church, regardless of their age, because all of us have that potential. And so leaders bring order out of chaos. And leaders take initiative. And leaders, really what they do is they find a need. And then they meet that need. And then they find other people who can help meet that need. And then they go and look for more needs. But that we would be faith calibrated, but also that we would be leadership calibrated. That leaders are people who are solutions orientated. And so proactive people are calibrated for leadership because they see problems differently. In, uh, in Enterprise, Alabama, which is in Coffee County, in 1915, the people of Coffee County were devastated after the boil weevils destroyed cotton crops and basically destroyed the, the economy of that county. Just a couple of years later, they erected a sign, which is, which is here. In 1919, they erected a sign in the center of town, which is actually a monument to the boll weevil. Because what had devastated their crops and their cotton crops meant that they had to diversify in what they were doing. And so uh, George Washington Carver said to them, why don't you guys plant peanuts? And so they couldn't plant cotton anymore. The boil weevil had destroyed all of that. And they'd experimented in different counties with, with trying to grow different types of cotton that would germinate quicker and perhaps um, uh, outlive the life cycle of the boll weevil, but it just hadn't worked. And so they either faced not being farmers anymore or just changing what their crops were. So they started planting peanuts. The first guy to do it was actually called Crazy. And then he made something like 15,000 pounds and everyone was like, actually, that's not crazy. We should all do that. The second season, basically everyone exchanged their crops of cotton for peanuts and they became far more prosperous from the peanut crops than they ever would have been if they'd stuck with cotton for the whole time. And so as a tribute, just a few years after having their entire economy decimated by the boll weevil, they erected a sign thanking this tiny little insect for destroying their crops so that they could try something far more profitable than they could have ever thought imaginable. Proactive people are solutions orientated, right? Which means they see problems differently. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. You know the scripture, Jesus goes to the temple and he opens the scroll and he reads out this verse describing actually himself having come as the Messiah. This is what it says, Luke 4 and verse 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the, for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that I'm anointed to be a problem solver for, for the poor and for the needy and for the blind and for the lame and for the oppressed, that, that actually I'm anointed to solve those problems. That, that you and I in the same way would, would see problems and, and would stay with that same sort of confidence that you and I, we are anointed to be problem solvers. That actually one of the things that should be true of the way that we live our lives Right, as proactive, initiative-taking, can-do, faith-filled people, is that we'd be the kind of people who aren't afraid of problems. Lots of people are afraid of problems, but not you. You're not afraid of problems. Problems are afraid of you. Problems get scared when Dave Larkin comes knocking. 
Because problems know they're not going to be allowed to exist for much longer while he's still around. Come on, that's the way faith-filled people live their lives. That you and I aren't in intrepidation or fear or worried about problems. We're looking for problems. We love problems. We eat problems for breakfast. We get disappointed when there aren't any problems. Here's the third one. Is that we'd be creativity calibrated. We'd be faith calibrated. Yeah. That we'd be leadership calibrated, but also we'd be creativity calibrated. That Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company, once said that if I'd asked the public what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. That's a man who's looking at the way everyone else is seeing the world and beginning to look at it in a new and creative way. While everyone's trying to breed faster horses, Henry Ford was dreaming about establishing a motor car company, and now we are so grateful that he did. Thomas Edison, who was the inventor of the light bulb, who famously said that, that he found 10,000 ways not to make the light bulb as he went through all of those failures before finally inventing a way that did work, said this, there is a, better, there is a way to do it better, find it. That when asked about the way that he lived his life, Thomas Edison said, I live it this way, there is a way to do it better. It's my responsibility to find it. That we'd be creativity calibrated in that way. That there is a better way to do this, so let's find it. That we would ask ourselves, is there a better way? And, and, and by God's grace, could, could we find that? Could we fulfill that? Could, could we find a better way to be able to do this or that or and that would be true in the way that we, we do church. It would be true in the way that we lead the center. It would be true in the way that we lead our families and our own lives, that, that we would ask God, is there a better way to do this? That we're not so tied to the way things used to be that we would resist the new thing that God wants to be able to do. There is a way to do it better, and we're going to find it. That proactive people are creative and they're innovative. Why? Because they have a vision for the future that is more glorious than the past. That if you want to be a creative person, that, that actually all that that entails is having a vision for the future that's more glorious than the past. Praise God for the things that he's done. Praise God for the testimonies that you have. But you haven't even scratched the surface of the kinds of things that God wants to do. That even when we look around the center and we can see the different things and the opportunities that are there and, and the people that will come and begin to start those different ministries and areas, that even the ideas that we have aren't even scratching the surface of the kinds of creative things that God wants to be able to do. That we're talking about through the gym, that one of the things we could do is we could run like a strength class where Cooper Og, as the youth coordinator, could go in and teach strength of character in the, in the school to a group of students. And then Kobe would then teach them strength of physical structure by coming along to the gym. And that between Cooper and Kobe, between the gym and teaching character values in school, that that might be a way to be able to build relationships with young people and lead them in a journey towards becoming brighter in their own lives, but also potentially asking the bigger conversations about life, about God. That's just one idea. God could do way more than that. And so creative people are people who simply have a vision for the future that's greater than the past. I've told this story before, but if you've, if you've not heard it, in 1924, when the Sydney Harbour Bridge was, when works on the Sydney Harbour Bridge were commenced, there were six registered cars in New South Wales. 
They were building, it's still to this day, the largest structure of its, of its kind in the world as a steel-structured bridge. It's the largest bridge of its kind in the world. It's not the longest, but in overall size, it's still the largest. It was started in 1924. It was finished in 1932. And when they start construction, they're building a 12-lane bridge for six cars in New South Wales. That for the longest time, they put a dotted line down the middle just so you knew that which traffic was going north and which traffic was going south. They didn't have to put in the other lanes because it was physically impossible to hit another car. There just that weren't that many of them. Today, there's 180,000 cars that go across that bridge every single day. What is that? That's people in 1924 having a vision for the future that's bigger even than their reference to the past. Find creative ways to reach people for Christ. We want to find creative ways to be able to lead in the center. We, we want to be able to find creative solutions to problems. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 19, this is what Paul says. He says, Though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. When we think about creative ways to be able to win, to win people for Jesus, Paul says, I've tried everything. To, to the Jews, verse 20, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And to those under the law, I became one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Listen to this. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is I'll try anything short of sin to be able to win people for Jesus. If you need me to be like a Jew, I'll be like that. If you need me to be weak, then I'll be like a weak to be able to win the weak because I will do anything. I will become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some. And so I want to encourage you that if MCC is going to be a church, please don't get comfortable. This is a proactive church. This is an initiative-taking church. This is a faith-striding church. This is a leadership-calibrated church. This is a creative church, right? Which, which means if you start to get comfortable, things around you will change. We will always be trying new things. And I promise you, not all of them are going to work. But we're not going to be afraid of trying things that don't work and changing them. Sometimes we're just going to change things just to keep you off your uh, getting too comfortable. Right? But because one of the things that is here to stay is change. That change is here to stay in a proactive church that is looking to be able to do everything they can to be able to reach people for Jesus. Here's the fourth and final one that would be faith-calibrated, leadership-calibrated, creativity-calibrated, and finally, action-calibrated. That renowned economist Theodore Levet said this, creativity is thinking up new things, innovation is doing new things. Thomas Edison put it this way, who was the inventor of the light bulb, he said, the value of an idea lies in the using of it. That proactive people, the key word in that is active. That we are not idle, but that we are active. 
And that's true. It should be true about us. It should be true about the culture of our church. But it should also be true, right, because it's true about God. That God is not idle. And God is not irrelevant. And God is not sitting on his hands. No, no, God is active. And so a proactive church is a church that's active. And so you think about that, you think about God, how God asked Noah to build a boat before the rain came. And God asked Moses to go back to Egypt before he felt confident to face his past, right? And God required Naaman to dip in the Jordan River seven times before he was healed of leprosy. And God asked Mary to carry the Son of God before she had the chance to explain the situation to Joseph, right? That when you read through the scripture, the thing you become aware of is that God is not idle, he's active. But also, if you're going to be a part of God's story, it requires you to begin to act in some way also. And here's the truth. Oftentimes, God's asking you to act before there's a breakthrough. Right? Like like the priests are getting their feet wet at the Jordan River before God parts the water for Israel to pass on it. Right? They're getting their feet wet. That God is asking Moses to lift up his staff before the Red Sea gets parted. Right? That, that, that when you read through the scripture, you realize that God is often asking people to act in faith, and then God brings the breakthrough. That in the book of 2 Kings, there's the story of the four lepers who, who begin walking to the enemy's camp, and as they're walking, God amplifies their action and it causes this neighboring kingdom who's been laying siege to Samaria that it causes them to begin to hear the sound of a great army. It's not a great army, it's just four lepers, but God has amplified their actions. And so that we would be an action-oriented church. That we wouldn't sit around talking about lots of things without actually beginning to do those very same things. I think of stories like this where Jesus asks the man with the withered hand to stretch it out in order to be healed. Because oftentimes, right, God will ask you to do something that even might be uncomfortable before the breakthrough comes. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 1, this is what the scripture says. It says, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and there was a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them, talking about religious people, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. That was kind of like a not done thing. And so Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? They remained silent. Verse 5, he looked around at them in anger, Jesus did, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. When I think of taking action, of being a group of people who are proactive and action orientated, I think of stories like that. Because for this man's life, he had spent most of his life hiding his withered hand. That it was actually something for him that, that brought shame. And so, so, and so he, he would hide it, right? Because he was living in an age where people would have asked questions like, well, if he's got a shriveled hand, then, then who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Is that the reason why he, he's got that condition? And so he would have spent most of his life trying to conceal that hand. And now Jesus says, all right, I want you to stretch it out in front of everybody. You put yourself in the position of that guy in that moment and you're thinking, Jesus, is there another way you can do this? 
Like, could you just like, while it's still concealed in my coat, like, could you just touch it and then it would be healed? That would be much easier. Or like, do you have like a wand or something? Do you do, do you things like that? Like, do you just, can you pull a new hand out of a hat? Like, what, how, is there another way that we could do this other than me in front of all these people kind of awkwardly having to pull out the thing I've spent my life trying to conceal away? And Jesus isn't doing it in order to make this man's life uncomfortable or difficult. Jesus is doing it knowing that the minute it leaves his coat, it'll already be healed. But the man doesn't know that. The man's not embarrassed at all. When he pulls his hand out, the Bible says he's already healed. But he doesn't know that at the time. And sometimes God will ask you in faith to do things that make you feel uncomfortable. Right? Where, where, where you don't want to lead worship, but, but God said, but I've given you a gift right? Where, where, where there might be other areas of your life where you're like, well, I've spent my whole life trying to hide this part away. And yet God says, would you stretch it out? That people of action are willing to act even before there's breakthrough. That we're calibrated for action. And so you will be challenged in this church. And because we're calibrated for action, you'll grow in your faith, I pray, in this church. And that you'll be asked to get more involved. That, that you'll become more involved in what's going on because there's action. That one of the things I hope becomes very true, that if you're sort of walking idly through the foyer of our church with nothing to do, that won't happen for very long. That if someone's walking around idly, it's like, that person's not doing anything. There is something to do right here, right? That if you step into the offices, it's like that's a dangerous place to be because if you step in there for too long and it doesn't look like you, you've got anything to do, there'll be something for you to get involved in. Why? Because we're proactive people. Because we're initiative-taking people. And as the worship team comes back and as we conclude, I want to finish with, with this thought. This is from William Shedd, who was a Presbyterian theologian. In the 19th century, he said this. He said, a ship is safe in harbour, but that's not what ships are for. That there is a way to live our lives that would be more comfortable by not pursuing the call of God. That there is a way to be able to live our lives that would be more comfortable by not becoming involved in what God's doing. And ships would be safer if they just stayed in the harbour. But that's not what they were designed for. You weren't designed for safety or for comfort. You were designed for a glorious plan that God has. You weren't designed for the safety of staying in the harbor. You were designed to let down your sails and feel the wind of God blow you in an entirely new direction. You were made for adventure. You were made to cross seas. You were made for great and mighty purpose. You were made to be an instrument in God's hand. And so sometimes I wonder if while we are asking for easier and more comfortable lives, God is asking for stronger, more adventurous children. Jonathan is just at the age now where, where if I'm doing something, he can start to do it with me. And so if I'm mowing the lawn, I'm not going to give him the whippersnipper, but he can push the mower. And if I'm cleaning the car, then, then he can come help do that with me. And there are times where he's really excited about doing that, especially when it involves a drill or some sort of power tool or something he can hurt himself with, like he wants that particular job. And then there are other times where he's like, it is like a war to try and get him off his Nintendo Switch, right? Because that's so much more comfortable, especially on a hot day. 
And I wonder if sometimes that's what it's like for God, that God is actually about doing some great things on the earth. And he's just waiting for his children to get off their Nintendo Switch and become involved alongside him. Because, of course, none of this happens without God, right? That This is God's doing. This is God's work, right? But we get to come alongside in the same way that Jonathan helps me. In the same way, God gives us the opportunity to come alongside him and to begin to become involved in what he is doing. And my prayer for every single person who calls this church home is that if you're just here and you're just settling in, then that's okay. But there would come a point where it's like, you know what, I'm not going to sit on my hands here. I'm going to get involved here. I'm going to become proactive here. And I'm going to begin to exercise faith and join different teams or get involved in different areas because I don't want to sit on my hands. No, I want to be proactive. I want to be right alongside God as he's doing these things, as God is changing people's lives and impacting this community and seeing high schools. I want to be a part of that. And I can't do that. That's God's doing. But I'd sure like to come alongside and just press the power drill right? I'd sure like to be involved in what it is that God's doing. And so for us as a church and as a center, we need faith and leadership and creativity and action. That that, that is constantly my prayer, right? It'd be a lot easier just to make this church about Sundays. But that's not what God's called us to do. And so we're going to need faith and leadership and creativity and action. That this is one part of what actually is going to happen through the life of the church in lots of different areas as ministries are started and as the center is utilized. That we're going to need creativity and we're going to need the wisdom of God. That ultimately, we're in a church plant in reverse. This is a really unique scenario. That even as the church has grown over the last couple of months, we're still a church that would be less than, maybe close to a couple of hundred adults in a building that's one acre of slab. Do you know what big buildings come with? Big bills. Right? And so this is a really unique thing. That that churches of our size don't do things like this, and yet God has graced us to do it, hasn't he? Otherwise, why would he have asked us to do it? God's graced us to do it. And so there is times where, you know, this week for our eldership board where we're praying and believing for God's wisdom and and having to make decisions because a church of our size generally is making smaller decisions, but because of how God has graced us, we're having to make bigger ones. It'll cost $125,000 to get the pool ready by March. That's $80,000 to be able to screen it on two sides, about $25,000 in the training for pool operations and the manuals and safety that goes with that, a pool shed, which is about $10,000, and, and pool equipment. Lane ropes are worth $4,000. There's only four of them. So, so that's, that's a cost. And generally, a church of a couple of hundred people aren't thinking about, how do we, start, how do we raise $125,000 to get the pool ready to go? But God's graced us for that. If we would be proactive, right? Faith calibrated, leadership calibrated, creativity calibrated, action calibrated. Think about it this way. Do you know in our postcode alone, and some of us aren't even from this postcode, including myself, but in 4551, there is 51,095 people who live in this postcode. That 14,333 of them are actually under the age of 25. How will we reach those people? 
Well, we're going to need to be proactive about that. We're going to need to take steps of faith. We're going to need to exercise leadership. We're going to need to become creative, right? If we're going to reach people that no one else is reaching, then we're going to have to find creative ways to do that. Then we're going to need to be action-orientated, not just sitting around talking about it, actually just trying some things. And even if they don't work, trying something else in its place. But you understand God's graced us to be able to do this. Because God is not mean. And God cannot lie. And so if God places a dream in a person's heart, it's not to tease them because he's not a man that he should lie. And so if God places a dream in your heart, it's because he has graced you to be able to do it. It's true for the church. It's true for your life too. Come on, if you're a single mom, you need faith, leadership, creativity, action. Come on, if you're running a business, don't you need that? Don't you need to take steps of faith? Don't you need to exercise leadership? Don't you need to become creative sometimes? Don't you need to exercise action? If you're getting married this year, right? Or you're already married or you're coming up to your 50-year wedding anniversary, don't you need faith and leadership and creativity and, and action? If you've received a health diagnosis, if you've been told by a doctor that you've got cancer, don't you need faith? And don't you need to exercise leadership even of your own soul? And don't you need to become creative and begin to see things the way that God sees them? And don't you need to begin to take action and take steps of faith in that as well? It's true for the church, but it's actually true for every single one of us that we'd be those kind of people. And we do that knowing that actually we're graced by God to do it, but that we have a great example in Jesus himself who did not wait for us to make our way to him. Instead, he made his way to us. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we pray? Lord, I thank you this morning for every single person who's in this room. God, greatly loved by you. And Father, I pray today, God, for the dreams and desires that are in our hearts. God, for the challenges and opportunities that lay ahead. God, for our families and for us as individuals, but God, also for this church, that God is way more a part of your heart than it ever was any one person's. That God, this is your idea. God, this is your plan. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to become those kind of people, proactive people, people who are taking steps of faith and are exercising leadership and are becoming creative and are orientated towards action. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that God, today you'd speak to our hearts. But maybe one thing that we could do to begin to calibrate our hearts that way in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.